Okay, we're working our way through the book of Joshua. And the basis of the study of Joshua, we said, is that there is things to possess. God gives gifts, and some of those are now, some of those are later, and some of those are for us to possess. And the promised land has that same parallel. They had to possess it. Nobody just said, there it is, Let's just walk in and take it. They had to possess it. And so it was a conscious effort on their part. And we've been making a list of attitudes that have to do with that. <clears throat> Remember God said to Joshua, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to go. And your foot's going to have to touch that property if you're going to get it. And so you've got to work. There's no laziness in it. He says, you've got to obey. You can't go, remember, we said to the right or the left. You can't go off track. You've got to stay on track. You have to obey. You have to meditate in God's word, which is essential. You've got to meditate on the Bible, God's word, and you said, no fear. You can't have fear. You're going to have to trust me. And so you need to work, meditate on the Bible. And then we added to the list last week. We said we had to have a clear vision of God because before they entered the promised land, they were following a cloud, just a cloud. Now, as they enter the promised land, there's the Ark of the Covenant with all its symbols and everything in front of them. So before it was just, well, God's kind of a cloud. Now we know what he's all about. And there's the ark with the Ten Commandments in it, with a little dish of manna in it. All sorts of things about that ark teach us about God. So we have a much clearer vision of God. And as we go along in life, if we're going to possess the things that God wants us to possess and get a hold of those things. We're going to have to have a clear vision of God. And then we said a big one, no complaining. No complaining. God not interested in complainers. And a whole generation of complainers were just let go out in the desert and they died out there. And he said, I don't want complaining. So it's essential in our possessing the things that God has. And one of the things that came up right away in the book of Joshua, and it's repeated over and over and over again, there's more to possess than you'll ever get. He gave the original borders that God said they could have. It went from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, they never got that much. They never possessed that much. And there was always a string of cities along the Mediterranean that they didn't possess. They never went all the way to the Euphrates River, ever. And so God said, here's what you can take. But they didn't get it all. And that's the thing for you and I. We have a lot that we can get from God. And are we going to get it? How much are you going to get? Well, how much are you going to pay attention these things is the essential part. Now, <clears throat> last week uh, we talked about uh, the children of Israel crossing over the Jordan. And you recall there's a million people on the east side of the Jordan River. And, and Joshua tells them, and the way this book works, and this is interesting, God tells Joshua and Joshua tells the people. All right? So Joshua is the sole voice for that information. God won't talk to anybody but Joshua. And he says to him, I'm going to make you the one. Anything that they have to do is going through you. And that uh, is kind of, you say, well, jeepers, that's one man rule. No, that's God's particular method right there. 
Right? You're going to find different kind of leaders all through the Bible. You're going to find some leaders who are like that. They're able to lead single-handedly. Then you're going to find leaders who run like a democracy. Elisha, one of the big examples of a very democratic leader. Uh, but you've got Joshua. It's one man. And God set it up that way. So you have to understand about leadership. God chooses the kind of leader he wants. And when I look around other churches, I think, well, that's not the way I'd do it, but I'm not them. God picked them and put them there. You know, and so that's God's choice for that group, and that's how it works. And now Joshua is the choice here, and he runs the show, and everything happens. So Joshua says to them, take the ark, walk up to the river, and step in it. As they step in it, the river dries up way upstream, long ways up. And the water just builds up, it says, in a heap. <laughs> That's been something to see. All right, the water just building up in a heap. A million people cross over. And the last thing I said last week was up on the hills, looking towards the east, are all these people who live in the land. They're watching this group come across the river and then onto the other side. And <clears throat> when they see that ark go into the water and the water dry up, <gasps> then all of a sudden there's a million people. And you remember it said that they went quickly. So here they are running across. <laughs> now they're all on our side of the river. So how are we all going to feel about that? Well, here's, gonna, here's how it starts. Chapter 5. Came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So they're scared to death. They are frightened. They don't know what to do. Now there's a million people on their side of the river. And what's next? I don't know. They're there and they've got us frightened. And they said they, their heart melted. There's no more spirit in them. Before it was always a little bit of defiance. Well, you know, they're over there. We're over here. This is our property. Now they're on your front step. They come across. And so, just what you think is about to happen is not at all what happens. <laughs> I love the way this works, see. <clears throat> so, there's a million strong come over the river. And you say, well, what's next? Well, let's go. No, no, no. That's not what's wrong. Sometimes we don't understand how God works. Here's a real good example of how God works. Verse 2. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make these sharp knives, that would be stone knives, circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcision the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is a cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all men of war, died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Now all these people that came out were circumcised. But all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. And so God says, okay, now you're here. First thing we're going to do is circumcise. <laughs> All right, how's that going to go for an army? In other words, a whole army, well, not a whole army, probably half the army. Now, there are people who came out of Egypt. Everybody came out of Egypt was circumcised. All right, anybody born after that. So there can be up to 40 years old, people who were born after that. Now, the people who came out and were under the age of 20 lived. Everybody over the age of 20 died. There was only two people now that came out, Joshua and Caleb. They were the only ones left that came out that were older over that age. There were people under that age. But 
probably at least half of the people were born in the last 40 years. And nobody has been circumcised. And so they're going to do it. And uh, <clears throat> there's a reason for this. All right, let's go on a little bit. We'll stop and think about that. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord unto whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord swore unto her fathers that he would give us a land floweth with milk and honey. And their children whom he raised up and said, them Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. All right. So now half of the population wouldn't be able to fight. So if any time I ought to be ready, is then, right? No, I don't know. it's not God's way. Something else has to happen first. All right. And so we go back to trace what's going on here, what caused this to come about, all right, and why it's so essential that they begin it here. So we're going back to Genesis, chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. We've got to understand something about God that I think in our age we're not good at at all. We're not good at this. And we need to learn this from this passage tonight so that we can be better at living the way God wants us to. We're not good at what we're about to look at, okay? Genesis chapter 15, and verse number 18. Now what's happened is God has come to Abraham and he said, uh, you're going to have a son. He's going to be born in your house. And he's going to be your heir. And you'll have a lot of, a lot of children, as many as the stars in the heaven. So I want you to make a sacrifice. And he makes a sacrifice. And God sends a lamp through the sacrifice. And there's smoke and then a lamp. It's all kind of a very strange thing. But here's uh, what happens. Verse 18. In the same day, Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying unto saying, Unto thy seed I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, to the river Euphrates. Kenites and Kenizzites and Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephimims, and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. So it says that God made a covenant. God made a covenant. I'm making a promise to you. I'm extending to you a covenant. And the promise, the covenant, is that there's going to be a land. I promise you. The promised land. I'm going to give this to your children. I want them to have it. In response to God's Covenant, God said, We're making a covenant. Abraham, over chapter 17 of Genesis, is going to enter into the covenant with God. Genesis 17, verse 21. <clears throat> but my covenant I will establish with Isaac which Sarah shall bear unto me at this set time next year. He left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all that were born in his house, that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day, as God had said unto him. Abraham was ninety years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. So... The promise is made, I will give you the promised land. What do you give as part of the covenant? How do you respond to that? We will circumcise everybody, all right, because of the promise. So a covenant recognizes there's two parties. There's two parties, all right? There's God over here, and there's Abraham over here. 
and all his household. So the covenant is, I'm giving you this property. I'll give you this land. What do you do in response to it? We will circumcise all the males. And so that's the response as part of the covenant. So it's a two-sided agreement that they make. A two-sided agreement that they make because of that. Now, <clears throat> let's look ahead a little more because there's a very important scripture I want you to go to. Numbers 14. Numbers chapter 14. Because the question is, for you to be thinking, why did they stop circumcising after they left Egypt? They circumcised everybody up till they left. And they left, and they quit. And so Joshua's got to start it up again. So for 40 years, they didn't do it. Why? Why? All right, Numbers 14. And I'm looking at uh, right there in the first verse. Now the spies have just come back. There's 12 of them. Ten of them said, we can't take the lands of the giants. It's horrible. We'll all die, and our children will die. It'll be awful. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, wait, 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 wait. You can do this with God's help. Yeah, we can't ever do it. Here's the response, chapter 14. All the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. So they're all crying, crying in their tents. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto him, Would God we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return unto Egypt. So, there's a promise. God makes a covenant. I'll give you the promised land. Okay. So they come out of Egypt, cross the Red Sea, go to Mount Sinai, get all the information from God. And in less than a year, they're at the border. They can go in. No, we can't go in. We're going back to Egypt. What's your part of the covenant? You would make an agreement with God. If he said, I'll give you the promised land, you came up there and said, I don't want it. We don't care about it. I don't want it. We want to go back home to Egypt. And they had lots of reasons. We want to eat leeks and garlic. That's one of the things they complained about. We used to get fish out of the river. We want to go back. Let's go back. We don't want the promised land. So they broke the covenant. He brought them there. Said, "All I got to do is go in and take it." No, he refused. So they broke the covenant. So why didn't God make them circumcise their children for the last forty years? Why didn't He tell Moses make sure all those children are circumcised? Forty years never happened. So circumcision is what we call a rite. Not a R-I-G-A-H-G-H-T. Not that kind of a rite. Uh, it's, uh, it's an outward thing. A rite is something we do on the outside that represents something on the inside. Okay? So you do something that people can see, like baptism is very much a rite. All right? It's called a rite. Why? Because... We say in our hearts, we're going to live for the Lord from this day on. And we're going to be baptized to say that 
I'm going to leave my old life behind under the water, come up and live a new life. What I'm going to do. Now, that has to be real in your heart. Anybody gets baptized, I tell them, you can't fake it. <laughs> you can't fake it. It's got to be real. If it's real inside your heart, you really want to do that. And then you do something outside to show what's real inside. And that's what a right is. So circumcision was what? It's an agreement and a covenant with God. God says, I'll give you the promised land of circumcision. He says, I agree. I'm in. You and I are together, God. We have the same purposes. Well, when that generation came up to the promised land, they said, we don't want that. We're not going in there. We want to go home. We're going back to Egypt. All right? And so uh, he let them all die in the wilderness. Think about that. The covenant is broken. The covenant is broken by these people. And so God says, the last thing I want you to do is do something that you really don't believe. And the day you decided you didn't want the promised land, circumcision became meaningless to you because circumcision was part of the covenant that you made with God. God said, Abram, I'll give you land. He says, I will circumcise my household as a sign that we are in agreement in this covenant. They had failed to do that. And the, God, the last thing God wants is somebody getting circumcised and not even caring. Right? So he says, I don't want you people to circumcise because it would be a fraud. It would be a fake. Just like I said to people, if you don't mean this, please don't get baptized. If you really don't mean it. The last thing I want to do is baptize you. I don't want that. It's got to be real inside. And so they didn't circumcise for 40 years because God didn't want it. God doesn't want it. All right now, let's go back to Joshua 5 because there's more here for us to take note of. Verse 8, it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people, they abode in their places in the camp until they were whole, however long it took for everybody to heal. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. On the west side, they're on the west side of the Jordan River, camped in a place that they call Gilgal, which means rolling. Where are you camped? Over in rolling. We're camped in rolling. And what does it mean to be camped there? Why do you call it Gilgal? Let's go on here. <clears throat> Verse 10. Children of Israel encamped in Gilgal, kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, even in the plains of Jericho. All right, and so second thing they do is Passover, which is also a rite. Right. Passover is a rite. It's an outward sign. We're going to eat a meal. We're going to have a cup. We're going to have bread. We're going to have bitter herbs to remind us of slavery. And we're going to have Passover and kill a lamb and eat the lamb to remember what? That when the Passover came to Egypt, the first Passover in Egypt, the death angel was moving through Egypt. And he killed the firstborn of every house, every stable, every everything. So from Pharaoh's house to the sheep down at the, in the barn. He killed the firstborn of every animal and every person. The only ones he didn't kill, he come to the house of the Israelite, and they had the blood of the lamb sprinkled on the door. So he passed over every house that had the blood sprinkled on the door. And the death angel passed over. So God said to them, every year from now on, you are to celebrate Passover. That's the day you went free. 
the day you went free. So they had the original Passover. They went out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, went into the wilderness, and they had the first year after that, one year after that, they had a Passover in the wilderness. And then they had no more of them for 40 years. Why? Same reason. These people rejected the promised land. They rejected that God could help them. They didn't covenant with God. And so they didn't keep the Passover. So nobody has kept Passover either for 40 years. And so God says to Joshua, first, let's get this all straightened out. Let's get this fixed. Because we are rolling over and out of you uh, the Egyptian ideas that came. Look what he says here in verse 9. The Lord said unto Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. So, what was the reproach of Egypt? Well, in Egypt, you were slaves. You were slaves. And you did what you were told. You were mistreated as slaves, and that was all you had. You were a slave. When you came out of Egypt, don't leave that behind, right? But they never left it behind in their minds. They lived with the attitude that we are just like we were back then. And so they lived like slaves. Slaves can't have property, right? We can't take the promised land because we're just these people who came out of Egypt and we want to go back there. You go back to Egypt, what do you think is there for you? Slavery. So that slavery never got out of their mind until all those people died. Now, on the inside of the Jordan, across the Jordan on the west side in Gilgal, uh, God says, I'm going to roll that away. We're going to get that attitude out of their mind. And we are going to what? Renew, renew the covenant. You're going to renew the covenant. So, we're going to get everybody circumcised, get that back going. We're going to celebrate Passover. We're going to get that going. And we're going to act with a new attitude, which is what? What's the original covenant? The promised land. The new attitude, this is our place. We're taking it. We come here to get it. That's our attitude. And so the attitude that... Well, God's got a lot of things, but I'll probably never have any of it. We've got to go. You want it? Possess it? Come and get it. But you can't walk around with the attitude of beating and slavery all the time. Stand up. Be counted. They're going to make a change. And so watch what God does. I love what God does. Because once they get it straightened out in their mind... Verse 11, they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. So, as they cross the Jordan River, there's fields of wheat along the Jordan River banks, big flat places, and they can grow huge fields of wheat, and they come in, and well, of course, that belongs to that. Jericho, it's ours now. We own it. This is our property. Coming to take it. So eat the grain. Let's make our unleavened bread, which we use for Passover, which is basically crackers, bread without yeast, and we will eat it. And it says, verse 12, the man was ceased on the morrow after they had eaten the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So there you go. This is your land. That wheat was grown on your land. Eat it. Well, we always got manna. There ain't no more manna. Time to eat the fruit of the land. 
Time to take what's yours. This is your property. You came over that river to take it. So let's go. Let's get it. It's a very serious attitude change for these people who've been wandering for 40 years in the desert waiting to die. Like nothing but a bunch of beaten slaves. He says, we're going to call it Gilgal because I'm going to roll your attitude off of you. Now your possessor is taking the land. Let's go and do it. Whole new attitude in this generation. And so it's necessary to re- Start up the covenant and renew the covenant. Now, here's my question to you. Uh, do we have a covenant? Do we have a covenant? Let's take a look at uh, uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. So, where are we? People came out of Egypt. They were making a covenant with God. God said, here's my part. I'll give you the, the promised land. They said, we don't want it. They broke the covenant. God said, then you're not getting it. And they went out and died. Now the next generation has come into the property and they said, we'll take it. We're going to agree. We'll be circumcised. We'll do Passover. We'll set everything back in right in motion. And we're going to covenant together with God. Now, that was the old covenant. Verse 31 of Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. All right, so he's talking about what we just looked at, right? We don't want the land. He says, not like that covenant. But this will be the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law on their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sins no more. The new covenant that was coming, Jeremiah talked about, is the one that Jesus would make. Now we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Familiar passage. Should know it by heart, I would think. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night which he was betrayed, took bread. When he given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Covenant is the same as testament. Covenant and testament are the same thing. It's an agreement that takes two parties. So God's, I'm making an agreement with you. The new agreement, the new covenant I'm going to make with you is that I will forgive your sins. I will write in your heart the reality of who I am, and you will know it inside, and that's the new covenant. We do have a covenant. Do have a covenant. And our right is communion. Our right is communion. Now, I'm going to tell you what I personally think. I think it is a dangerous thing to miss communion. I would not 
ever miss communion. Don't do it. And I am the last guy that's going to twist somebody's arm to come to church. I'm not going to say, you better get to church or I'll come and see you. I don't do that. Sometimes maybe I should, but I don't. I don't, all right? But I'm telling you what, I think it's dangerous to miss communion. Because you and God have a covenant. That is, you are responsible as a second party in the agreement. So here's what Paul says. Verse 29 of of uh, 1 Corinthians 11. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, or he means many have died. There's a covenant. God expects us to live up to the covenant. We have a part in that. And the rite and the ritual that we do, theirs was circumcision, to agree with the covenant. Ours is communion as part of that agreement in the covenant. He says people are weak and sick and they have died because they treated it like it was no big deal. And God doesn't like that. God does not like that. We have a covenant with God. And sometimes we treat the promises of God like, oh, look, at there's millions of them. I'm just going to get them all. Well, get them all. Do your part. Do your part. But don't think that there's no requirement on our part. All right? There is a covenant we enter into with God. He's going to forgive us, and what are we going to do? We're never going to forget. We're going to remember each time we do it that he died and he suffered for us. And it is dangerous to miss that. So God looking at these people who rejected his covenant, he said, I don't care if they ever circumcised. They wouldn't mean it anyway. It would be a fraud. Let them die. All right? So it's a very serious side of what's being said here. Going to enter the promised land was a covenant with God. God said, I'll keep my part, and you got a part to keep. We're going to roll that old attitude away. Gilgal is going to roll away from us. We're going to be free from that old attitude where I don't know, I don't know about God if I can do this. So uh, it's a real change in attitude for this group of people to come across and recognize you're in a covenant with God. It's pretty serious. You better be careful. All right. So <clears throat> they're across the river. Everybody is circumcised and healed up. And they have celebrated the first Passover in 40 years. And here, one of the great moments of history they've ignored for 40 years. Now they're getting back and they're rolling off. The old attitude, we don't do this anymore. And now, is, well, I think this is exciting. Uh, chapter 5, Joshua, verse 13. Now, people are healed up. The army's ready to move. Thousands of warriors ready to go. And right there, first on your list, is Jericho just happens to be a fortress. It's a fortress. Because it was such a commercial city, such a place of business and money and commerce, um, they built it up, built it up, had the money, built it up, built it up, and now it stands as, if you will, the example of the fortified city. So Joshua, and he's a loner, he's going to take a look at it. Because that's 
probably next. That city's probably next. So I got to look it over because I'm not sure how to handle it. Because it's not just a place you can walk up and fight with these people. This is a massively walled city. So he's going for a look. Here we go, verse 13. Came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And so he sees an armed man standing there with a sword. And Joshua was told, no fear, right? no fear. So he's, I'm, I'm in, let's go. Walks right up to the guy, who are you? Are you on our side or are you on Jericho's side? No fear, walks right up. And he answers, he said, verse 14, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So he meets a warrior. He's holding a sword. goes up to him, Who are you? Who are you? Declare what side you're on. So I'm not on your side or their side. I love the answer. I'm not on your side or their side. I'm the captain of the armies of the Lord of hosts. Or he is the commander in chief of all the armies in heaven. That's what he just said. Captain of the armies of the Lord of hosts. God is called in many places God of hosts. Sometimes you heard the name Lord Sabaoth. Not Lord Sabbath, but Lord Sabaoth means he's a God of armies. We sing it in our hymn book. From age to age the same Lord Sabaoth is named and he must win the battle. So here comes the man who is the commander in chief of the armies of heaven. Who's that? That happens to be Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. That's the Son of God standing there in front of him. First of all, you learn something about God because he appears to people in the way that they think because nobody can communicate like God. He knows how people's minds run and work. And so certainly he can communicate the best. So we, we go back and we find him appearing to Abraham. Abraham is one of the friendliest guys in the Bible. And God took up the name, well, I'm his friend. And he comes walking up to Abraham's tent, Jesus Christ, before he was born in Bethlehem, of course, comes walking up to Abraham and says, what's for dinner? <laughs> Because Abraham is friendly and he appears as a friend. Now Moses is a shepherd. He spent 40 years tending sheep out in the middle of the desert. And God appears in a different way to him in a burning bush. This is a guy who walks by bushes all day. He wanders through the desert marking bushes and rocks. And where does God show himself? In a burning bush. And Moses said, hey, i got to go look at that. And he gets up there. And you remember what God said? Take your shoes off. Get your shoes off. Because you're approaching me. I have come to you in familiar form. A bush. It burns. Come to you in familiar form. But don't forget who I am. Joshua is a warrior. He's been leading the armies up till now. He's had the victories on the other side of Jordan. Now he's a commander-in-chief. Whose side are you on? I'm not on anybody's side. God is not on your side. And that's a hard thing for people to accept. Well, he must be on my side. No. He says, I am the captain of the army of the Lord. I'm not on anybody's side. You can get on my side. 
All right. And sometimes that's where people go astray. And there'll be people saying, well, I got a prophecy about this, and I got that, and I got... You got nothing. You either get on God's side, or you know, he's not going to join your little campaign. All right? God is not joining people's campaigns. All right? Say, so, well, you mean he won't help? Sure you help, but we keep him in charge. Make sure that he's the honored guest. Make sure he's the one that's the most important person in the service. Make sure he's the honored guest. And so when he comes, all right, you, he'll come to you in the way that you understand him. Joshua understood war, and he stands there with a sword. Who are you, Captain? I'm the, I'm the commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven. Well, that's an awesome thing. That really should send a little chill up and down. It took one angel in one night to kill every firstborn in Egypt. Only one. All right. There's angels up there that have powers. There's one that comes from the north, south, and east, and west, has a power to change everything in the atmosphere on the earth. Book of Revelations. Michael is able to come and grab a hold of Satan and tie him up and throw him in a pit. Some very powerful angels. All right, very powerful angels. How many? I don't know. They're called the Lord of hosts and because a host is a whole lot. There's a huge army in heaven with a tremendous power. And then one day, what we recognize is that commander of the Lord of hosts that Joshua's talking to right outside of Jericho is going to come on a white horse, riding on a horse with an armor written on his king of kings and lord of lords. And it is the lamb come down with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And he comes in triumph to wipe out Antichrist and all the forces single-handedly by himself. And he's there talking to Joshua. Oh, Joshua drops down. And he says, it's good, take your shoes off too. Don't forget who we're dealing with, all right? He's going to talk to God. It's business. That's why I had you circumcise all those people. This is business we're going to do. All right? So you come over here to check out Jericho. Got it figured out, Joshua? No, I, got, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what to do. Verse chapter 6. This is the same conversation. Too bad they put chapter 6 here. They should have dropped it down a few verses. But it's okay. We can grasp it anyway. He's still talking to the captain of the armies of the Lord of hosts. Now he's down on his face with his shoes off because it's business. Okay, chapter 6. Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. So the city has been locked down. Sound familiar? They got a lockdown in, in Jericho too. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given thee into thy hand Jericho. King thereof and the mighty men of valor. You shall compass the city, all ye men of war. Go round the city once. Thus shall thou do six days. So he's getting instructions from God. Here's how you take Jericho. And the seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram horns. The seventh day you shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with a ram horn, you hear the sound of the trumpet. All the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat. People shall ascend up every man straight before him. So that's what God said. Here's, what, here's the plan to take Jericho. Um, <clears throat> you're going to you assemble the entire army, and I want you to do it a certain way, and we're going to Walk around this city. And then the next day you're going to do it again for six days. And then on the seventh day, there's going to be seven times 
there's seven priests, and they're going to blow seven trumpets. Get in, the, in your head, seven, 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 seven. And we're pretty sure he did it on the Sabbath day, because it would have been the special day of the week, all right, that that happened. So this is how you're going to do it. And uh, don't try to climb the walls and bash them in or nothing. Just do what I say. Do what I say, and it'll go the way it should. So... Here we go. Listen to what Joshua does. Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Pass on, compass the city. Let him that is armed pass on before the Ark. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram horns passed on before the Lord, blew with the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And armed men went before the priests, blew with the trumpets, and the re-reward came after the ark, priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. So uh, what it is, is there's two armies. They've split into two groups. And so here's Jericho, the walled city, and here they come, they're coming. And so we see how many, I don't know, 100,000 or whatever it is, armed soldiers come and they're walking around the city. And then there's that thing, there's that box, they're carrying that box, that box that we saw in the Jordan River. Now they're carrying it and there's seven priests Blowing these ram horns. Have you ever heard a ram horn? It's a horrible sound. I wouldn't call it music. It's not music. It's a blah <laughs> kind of sound. And uh, I knew somebody had one once and they blew it for me and I said, that's horrible. It's not a trumpet. It is not a trumpet. There's nothing you can compare to it. It is unmusical. Uh, but you could blow the thing pretty loud if you had some good lungs, which I'm sure they did. So there's the seven priests, and they go, oh, they're blowing away, seven priests. And there's that box. There's a whole other army behind that, a re-reward, which means people who bring up the tail end. And so here's a full army. And these priests, and all they do is blow those horns. There's that box they're carrying. There's a whole other army. So they're getting ready, and I'm sure they're up there thinking they're going to attack, they're going to attack, they're going to attack. And they walk around the city. And they go back to Gilgal. <laughs> Next day, let's do it again. We go around the city, back to Gilgal. Estimating they are that it takes about an hour to do that. All right, so for an hour, they're sitting up there on the wall. There's an army, but they're not doing nothing. They're just walking around. They go back. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. So, how do they feel on the wall? They're up on top of the wall watching. And nothing happened. They just went around and dodged that bullet. And they come again. They left again. Maybe they don't know what to do. Maybe we got them this time. <laughs> they can't get us. They can't figure out how to get inside this fortress. Maybe we're okay. Third time, off they go again. Fourth time, fifth time, sixth time. By the sixth time, saying, <laughs> look at you. Wandering around out there. You'll never get in this city. No doubt that their confidence rolls every time, a little bit, every time. First time, terrified. But they didn't do nothing. Now, here's the thing about it. Um, verse 10. 
Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout, make any noise with your voice. You shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout and then you shout. That's all he said. So no talking. When you're walking around there, nobody says nothing. No talking. So there's a silent army around. So on the wall, maybe their confidence is coming up a little. They don't know what to do with us. They can't attack us because they haven't got the ability to take us. What if you're in the army and you're walking around? What are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking, well, why are we doing this? We did it yesterday and we did it the day before. Apparently we're doing it today. And... Uh, it doesn't seem to do anything. Right. What does it say right there? You work. You be active. Get to work. You're going to cross there, get to work. So Josh says we're going around and they take a lap. And you go. You don't say, I don't need to do that today. I did it yesterday. Now, so you go today and you do it today. And so they no complaint. Oh, where did that come from? No complaint. They keep doing it. We're going to do it tomorrow. Obey. Don't go to the right or left. Don't say we can't go there. We did that yesterday. We did that for five days in a row. You want us to do it again? Yeah. Do what I say, not to the right or left. Obey. Joshua says, just don't talk till I say. Verse 12. Joshua rose up early in the morning, and priests took up the ark. Seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram horns before the ark of the Lord went continually, blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the reward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on, blowing with the trumpets. Second day, Compass the city wants to return to the camp, so they did six days. Came past on the seventh day, he rose up early. The dawning of the day, Compass the city after the same manner seven times. So the seventh day, seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. Came to pass the seventh time when the priest blew the trumpets. Joshua said to people, shout! The Lord give you the city. City shall be accursed, even at and all that are therein, to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are in her home, because she hid the messengers. So, everybody, when I say shout, you shout. All right, you let it go. Verse 20, so the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets came to pass. People heard the sound of the trumpet. People shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. So the people went up to the city, every man straight before him. They took the city. So walls fell down flat. So it doesn't crumble into little piles. It goes, just falls out flat all over. It just falls right down to the ground. Bang! Falls right over flat. All right? Not built to do that. <laughs> How do you know it's not built to do that? Because there's one section still standing. That's where Rahab lived. She lived on the wall. That piece is fine. Standing right up there, nice as can be. The rest of it falls outward. They go into the city Verse 21, they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox, sheep, ass, with the edge of the sword. So he said, verse 18, ye in any wise keep yourself from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed when you take the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver, gold, vessels of brass and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come to the treasury of the Lord. So, when we're done, we're going to kill every living thing. Nothing lives except for whoever's in Rahab's house. They're going to live. That, the rest, everybody dies. 
everything dies. The animals die. Well, why don't we keep the animals? Dead. All right, then what are we going to do? We're going to burn the place. Verse 24, they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein. Only the silver and the gold, the vessels of brass and iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. So when they went in the building, killed everybody that was in there. If there's a gold vessel, silver or something, uh, brass special like that, they take it. The rest of it, don't touch anything. Burn a place to the ground. And so they light from one house to the next, they light them on fire until there's smoke rising up to heaven. And why does every last thing have to go? Because he says it's accursed, is what they said in the King James. Uh, probably a better word for it, it wouldn't be accursed, but it would be... Uh, Dedicated, maybe, would be a word. Uh, dedicated. God said, this city, Jericho is your first one. I will tell you how to take it. Do what I say. Don't go to the right or left. I'll tell you how to take it. And you will keep nothing, absolutely nothing, from that city because they represent the most defiant against me. They are defiant against God. Look, there's a huge army coming and they just crossed the river with that box. Obviously, they've got some power that's greater than what we got. What should we do? Rahab, the only one, says, <laughs> you guys, those other guys aren't, but I'm with you, and she's saved. The rest of them say, hmm, to you. We're not doing anything you say. We're in our city. You can't get us. We're closed in the place, locked it up. Nobody's going in or out. You may be out there eating our grain, but you can't get us. Because we are better than you think. We are representative of this land and we are a powerhouse, and we defy you, and we defy your God. And God said, I want it all gone. Nothing left. Nothing left. So that every Canaanite, and every Hittite, and every uh, rest of them that come wandering by, look at a smoldering heap of ash and say, wow, that was the crown jewel of the Jordan Valley. And it's nothing but a pile of ash. All right? So God's very specific. You will save nothing. Now that will change as they go along. But this is the first one. And the most defiant. And so God says, I promise you the land. I'm claiming every bit of property inside it. Mine. And I want it destroyed. Nothing left. Every life taken, every animal, from a chicken up to a cows and oxen, all dead and burned. Nothing but a huge pile of smoking ash is left of the city of Jericho. <coughs> and verse 26, the Lord adjured of that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that raises up and buildeth the city of Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof, and his firstborn and his youngest son shall he set up the gates thereof. And so it was 550 years later that somebody rebuilt Jericho. And in rebuilding, he lost his oldest son and his youngest son exactly what Joshua said would happen. There was a curse on the place. God doesn't want it rebuilt, all right? And so when the guy rebuilt it, he paid for it with his children's lives. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was noised throughout all the country. You bet it was. Because they were thinking that place is safe. You can go there anyways from these million people over there be safe. No, you can't. There's nothing you can go, nowhere you can go to escape. If you are defiant against God, you escape. You do not escape. They didn't escape. Neither did the f 
people who died in the wilderness. They did not escape. So the passage leading up to the fall of Jericho is saying, look, God is serious. He's very serious. And he's not somebody to be trifled with. Take your shoes off, says the captain of the host. I'm not on your side. <laughs> I love that. You get on my side. That's what God says to all of us. You get on my side. Come on. Come on my side. I don't have to join with you. You join with me. And that's what we always want to think. What are we doing to join? So there's seven, 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 seven. Right? Seven is a number of completion of perfection. And God was saying, the seventh day, go seven times, blow seven priests, seven trumpets. What was he saying? This is perfect way to do it. Do it my way. And it'll be perfect. And it was. It was. So there it's gone. The city's gone entirely. Nothing but rubble all through it. Even a wall, I mean, even Jerusalem, when the Romans destroyed their sections of wall that still to this day are there. It's what they call the Wailing Wall. Something that survived all through hundreds of years. Not in Jericho. No. <laughs> Everything's gone. Nothing but a pile of rubble. It's all gone. All right? So, that's the fall of Jericho, but what led up to it? It was a renewal of the covenant. God says, I am a covenant-keeping God. I'll keep my part. You keep your part. All right? And I have a new covenant with you. Whosoever eateth this bread and drinketh this cup unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. For this cause people are sick and some have died. All right. And I honestly believe I have seen that in places where God was approached carelessly. But that's another day's topic. I'm over time. Thank you. We'll go on next week.